Hello and welcome to this very special edition of Network Collective. This is an off-the-cuff uh, episode being recorded here at Cisco Live in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, today we are going to be we're going to be taking a look at a topic. It's it's based on a conversation and an observation that I've been having with some people uh, in this community, and that is that we're seeing engineering kind of disappearing from the enterprise. And and so we want to talk around this and, and see if you know the, the this. Uh, panel of guests that we have here actually agree with that premise, and then also, uh, uh, you know, what, what the implications are uh, for, from that migration. But before we dive into that, I want to give, give our guests an opportunity to introduce themselves, and we're going to start off with Denise. Hi, I'm Denise Donahue. I'm a business architect for NetCraftsman, and you can find me at, on Twitter at LadyNetworker. Hi, I'm Michael Ziga, also known as Ziga in the community. I work at E Plus as a lead technical architect. Um, and you can find me at uh, Twitter at Michael underscore Ziga. I'm Jeff Fry. I work for Dimension Data as a senior consultant. Um, you can find me on the web at FryGuy.net or on Twitter at FryGuy underscore PA. Hi, my name is Daniel Dib. I'm a senior network architect and you can find me on Twitter as Daniel Dib SWE and my blog is lostintransit.se. All right, and to complete the circle here, my name is Jordan Martin. I'm one of the uh, the co-hosts of Network Collective. I'm at BC Jordan on Twitter. I blog occasionally at jordanmartin.net. All right, so let's start. Let's dive in. The, the the very first idea, first question that I have for you guys is: Do you agree? Do you agree that there seems to be over time a migration of engineering and architect skills moving out of the enterprise, and that we're seeing more more enterprise customers leaving those types of decisions to Vendors, VARs, and cloud providers. I kind of agree. I'll jump in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of I, I kind of agree. I see that happening some. As far as the reasons for that, I think it's what's what's important to look at. It's I think now I think it's because networks have become so complex. How can you possibly know everything there is to know about all the different technologies that, that go into a network now. It's not just put a router here, or a firewall here, and, and some switches down here where users connect anymore, and life is good. And then the data center is over here. Everything is, is integrating. Everything works together. Things are virtualizing so much. And you, if, unless you're a really large company, you can't really afford to have someone who knows all those different technologies well enough to advise you on how to integrate them all. Okay. So on that side, on the design side, I think it's very valid to call in external resources and probably a good use of money to call in external resources when you need them and then let them go do other stuff not on your, your dime when you don't. Okay. Yeah, so for me, I totally agree with the premise of the, the conversation today. Um, my perspective is that I, I think we're going to see that more often over the next probably five, ten years, maybe fifteen years. We're going to see enterprise um, customers, enterprise companies going away from having maybe even like a CCIE or CCDE on staff to having like um, maybe just O and M or operations and maintenance type of people on staff um, that that kind of maintain and do the the day to day tickets, um, the the monitoring, and then they call in you know uh, an expert to help them troubleshoot something or help them build out something brand new. Um, I think it comes down to a business decision more than anything else, more than a technical decision. I mean, businesses 
um, to get uh, you know someone that is a CCIE or has those skill sets, it's going to be expensive, and they're going to want to probably cut costs where they can, um, and that's going to be a lot lot cheaper long term than having someone on staff. Gosh, I hope that's I hope you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> just my view. Right? I mean, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, and I, and pro could happen. I just I hope that companies won't get away from having knowledgeable expert people on their staffs that can take the stuff that maybe they brought in someone outside to help them design and maybe even implement and then maintain it well and and then and grow it even there's also the nuances of internal politics and budgeting and some of the internal senior people maybe not always the architects but the senior people and the IT staff need to be able to help shepherd projects along as a consultant they take our value but the internal people, the ones sometimes who can sell it to the executives and to the, their peers to say, this is what we need to do. Yes, he says this, but here's the other parts that go with it that we may not be aware of internally. Yeah, I think it's like a trend now for everything to be as a service. So they want to have like cost control and want to have it on tap and they don't want to keep all of the, the resources internally. So that's what I get. Uh, outside help and outsource like IT to, to other companies. Well, so I ask another question to everyone. Like, um, I mean, with, with the, the automation, the orchestration kind of push, um, I know not all the companies are, are adopting that right now, but I mean, some of the bigger companies are. I mean, we talk about Google and Facebook and even LinkedIn, um, and some of my customers are adopting automation and orchestration with whatever vendor-specific solution that's out there. Um, once these automation and orchestration solutions are deployed, I don't know if we even really need to know the underlying technology uh, to an extent. I mean, I, I view that I would want to know it, right? Because I want to be able to know how to troubleshoot BGP and OSPF and whatever protocol that's running underneath the hood. But from a business perspective, do they really need to know that? That's the question I kind of ask. I mean, that's that's an ongoing conversation yeah. in our industry, yeah. right? We, yeah. we have, you know, this you know, two sides, right? The, the fundamentals and, and deep understanding of technology, a lot of people still believe that will be incredibly relevant as we move forward. There are other people who, who want to believe that, that you know, <laughs> it gets set up, the highly technical stuff is done, and now we don't have to, to dive into that, that level of detail. Yeah. And so uh, in, I don't know that any of us know <laughs> the answer where that's going. I mean, but, but, but it's, an interesting, you know, it's interesting that it, it immediately went there because it's just an ongoing conversation in our industry. Yeah. But generally speaking, uh, technology is too complex today, and that's why we're seeing like companies like uh, Cisco push SDA now with the, the campus fabric. So instead of like thinking of every device as just one box, you need to like think more holistically about the entire network and where but traffic flows. They're trying to make it easier for the common person to be able to deploy a network. Yeah. Um, automate it and, and have a policy engine or orchestration engine to push down whatever you want to do. Um, Which would lead to your scenario of uh, not yeah, having... <laughs> you see where my logic is going, yeah. right? Yeah. Sadly, I and I, I hate to say it because, I mean, we're, we all are in this field and it really will affect all of us, um, the mass um, community that we have. So, mm -hmm. Now, there's, there's some, you know, I, I think there's some conflicting trends and I agree with everything that's been said, but let's, I mean, when we talk about pushing out these resources and let's leave cloud out of it for now. Let's just talk about uh, having, having vendors or VARs, uh, you know, bringing them in to help design engineering and high level troubleshooting. Vendors clearly are specific to one vendor. VARs tend to be fairly specific to one vendor. Not all, 
right? Yeah. But there's there's a lot of focus. I mean, there's a lot of Cisco specific VARs, HP specific VARs, mm -hmm. right? The, the idea. Uh, so w when you do that, yet there's a push towards disaggregation, white box. There's things that we want that we kind of want to get away from VAR dependence. Those two things seem to sit at odds with each other. What do you guys think about that? Yes, you're right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So I mean, I, I'm, I'm channeling Russ White a little bit here because yeah, yeah. I mean, for, for him, he sees the network as a competitive advantage or a potential mm -hmm. to be competitive advantage, and right? And, and maybe not every business is this way. I mean, there's probably a lot of businesses where just having a network and making sure that we can get traffic from A to B is enough. But there's, there's a lot of businesses where if we can make the network behave in some interesting or particular way that's unique to us, it could give us some sort of advantage over our competition. And in those cases, would it not make sense to have engineer and architecture uh, type people on staff rather than depending upon a specific vendor? It seems limiting to me. Yeah, like Denise said that, uh, I mean, I think we're still going to need like people like architects and designers to help the businesses. So even if, if it gets easier to implement the technologies, they're still going to need help with that side. And um, yeah. Cool. I think that what will probably happen, again, we're all guessing here, right? So I think uh, uh, bars or vendor, uh, like value-added resellers, will have to kind of change their, their models a little bit where um, instead of you know, focusing on the hardware sales and, and maybe a little bit on the software side, it's be more, um, more strategic and more kind of that, that technical advisor role within companies and really um, build out offerings that are like a, a virtual architect type of offering. Like um, instead of having someone on staff, you, you have not, not managed services per se, but like a managed like architect type of offering, um, which is cheaper theoretically than you know, having an architect on staff. I mean, that's, that's, a, that, 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 I mean, that's yeah. a great idea. All of us now, now you know, you know. We're all, we're all hoping. All, all disclaimers aside, everyone at this table works for a VAR. And we're all, <laughs> that's a great idea. Yeah. 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 Which one of us is going to go make that happen now? Uh, that's, but I mean, it's, it's actually, it's interesting you bring that up. It's actually a conversation we've been having internally. I don't know about you guys. Yeah. Uh, because there's, you know, you know, we the, the company I work for is a Cisco VAR. That's what we do. I mean, that's, that's and it's the traditional VAR model. And, and it, it's worked for a long time. Um, but our customers need architecture help. They need yeah. someone to help yeah. them have that discussion before they make the purchase, before they engage with a vendor or someone who's VAR specific. Um, but I, I don't know that that exists on the market yet. I mean, have you guys seen that where someone's providing some, you know, you know architecture independent of vendor dependence? Yeah. Well, I think a lot, I mean, a lot of us do. Because I think that's something that people are, we're realizing that we in our, as our own, in our own careers, in our own selves, need to do is, is look beyond the Cisco solution or look at the, look at the whole big picture and go, okay, you've, you're a historically Cisco shop. Here's a way to do it through Cisco. Here's, but have you also considered this or maybe this fits better to do partial this, partial that? I think it's, as, as architects, we have got to start learning about the whole, the whole big picture, other options too. All right, Jeff, I think you might have an yeah, interesting perspective yeah. as well because I know you've been doing a lot of work with some vendors other than Cisco. Yeah, so. I work yeah. with <laughs> my other primary vendors in Cisco, but I mean, it's, I think we can come into from our experiences and help them avoid some of the pitfalls we've seen our other customers make because we've been through the pains. We've, some of us came up through the enterprises. We've learned. We've made the mistakes. We can help them prevent those mistakes and save the money. And you're right, being able to understand other vendors besides the big boxes, it's like, 
there may be a better solution that actually gives you a competitive advantage because you don't have to spend the money and here's how it will impact your business better. Yes, you have this option, you have this option, you have this option. Here's the good, here's the bad about each. We think this one's going to be best, but yet it's your business. But we well, can help you I, lead your direction. I want to play devil's advocate yeah. here a bit, though, yeah. because I think we're talking about right. a theoretical thing that doesn't really exist. There are, there are motivations, right? right. Uh, you know, we as, as, you know, so I'm, I'm on the post-sale side. I don't, I don't sell equipment primarily. I do advise customers on occasion for those that I work with dramatically. But, you know, uh, some of the conversations, are like if, if, if my AM were involved with that conversation, they may not have been too happy with what I said, yeah. right? Because, because I, 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 like, like you said, we try to do it. Like, I mean, as an engineer, I want to, I want to live with integrity, right? I want to, I want to yeah. present the best solution that I possibly can to my customers, even if it's not always in the best interest of the company that I work for. Um, I don't know that the account managers and senior executives of our companies would agree with that though. And, and they're not, and they're not driving there. And I don't know, I can't speak for all of yours and you know, mine, sit on they try to write that balance right because the reality is they have better deals with some vendors than others mm -hmm. there's more profit and all of us you know in at the end of the day we do this so that we can put food on the table yeah. and pay yeah. our bills right yeah. so so i i don't know that it exists like i'm i'm just i want to challenge you guys like i mean like it's a great idea but is that really happening or does it happen from you know, do you find the right engineer? It maybe maybe that's the yeah. question. Maybe maybe the, the due diligence of finding the right engineer who's willing to not necessarily be the, the company guy. I, I think it's already starting, personally. I think there's kind of, and maybe evolution's not the right word, maybe revolution, revolution, but whatever you want to use. I think there's, something's already happening in the industry. I know for me, like, um, again, all of it is going back to the business side and really mapping everything from a business perspective. Um, you know, understanding your customer's business drivers, mm -hmm. requirements, true. constraints, mm -hmm. and then and then deploying or, or not deploying, um, developing a design or an architecture per the requirements. Right? I mean, you know, um, and that, this is kind of a, a CCDE push, right? The, you know, but still, forget about the certification. True. You know, really being that technical advisor from a business perspective, I see that already happening. And I think that it's only going to continue to happen. Businesses are going to realize that, you know, this is important to us. And then we can go in and say, hey, we have we can come up with a vendor agnostic solution. It doesn't matter if it's Cisco, Juniper, HP, whatever vendor you want to throw in the mix. And we can actually meet your business requirements the best that we can with, you know, flexibility and, and scalability and so on and so forth. So true. That's yeah. huge. Yeah. It's a business that's got to drive it. But I think any, any VAR, any company in general that puts its needs above the needs of its customers is is employing a really short-term solution. Long-term, yeah. long-term, you've what's right for the customer, you've got to do what's right for the customer because what's right for the customer ends up being what's right for the for your business. Right. Oh, that's, that's absolutely exactly true. The truth. I think there's competing priorities for that in the sense yeah. of yeah, you, there's you know, yeah. there's today it's versus tomorrow. Easy. It's not always easy to take it's the high road. The but that, that, and, and I, you know, I've brought up my company. My company would would agree with that. They, they, everyone would say that. But you know, at the end of the day, if there's uh, if there's three options on the table and they're all somewhat similar, yeah. we're we're going to lean one direction, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Like, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, you can still like sell with integrity, even if you're like just pushing one vendor, like. Explain what's the pros and cons with that solution without like talking down another vendor. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and if you truly believe that's the right solution for them, I mean yeah. that's that's the the, the the big point. Yeah, maybe yeah. I'll make five dollars more on this solution, but that solution. But what which what what you've got to recommend to the customer is which one you think is the is the right solution for them. Sure. 
just turning into a conversation about yeah, really. bar it's relationships. <laughs> no, it's all right. Completely it's, different from what sorry. you want to talk and about. I think some of that's where having them have a, a decent IT resource on site, whether it's an architect yeah. or a high senior engineer, can help some of that. Right. Yeah. This They're going to understand this. Back to Thanks that. for bringing there's, it yeah, back, Jeff. There's, <laughs> there's value in that, right? There's value in having someone who is technical who can who can validate what's being told to the company like i think i think the problem is that it, as if we see the exit of highly technical people in organizations it's going to be hard to validate what your var or your vendor or the cloud provider is doing as 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 a good technology it's going to be a, built a lot on trust not necessarily on Yes, that makes sense. Well, it's also yeah. the senior IT directors don't always understand the technology to do something. So they're looking at Gartner Quadrants. We want to go this way. This is the answer. Yeah. And where it's like, well, let's, let's hold off. Let's talk about what you really need and have somebody internally can go, I understand the technology you're trying to get to. What you want to do isn't possible without this. Mm -hmm. I'm actually dealing with that with one of my customers now. They want to go this direction. It's like, well, we need to do some of this stuff to get you there. We can't just jump there today. It's going to take a little bit, but... And the internal IT guy has been wonderful trying to facilitate a lot of that. Because right. yes. he gets the ear, he can go to lunch when I'm remote. He can go to lunch with the director and talk about the stuff that being a consultant coming in, if we're not there every day, we don't have some of those relationships. Right. Now, Denise said something earlier. <laughs> yeah, getting called out. Oh, no. What did I say? No, it was, it was a good point. And that is, and, and, and you spoke to it as well, is that the network's getting more complex. Right, and, and there's almost a requirement now that we that we we push this out. So I mean, let's speak to that a little bit about you know. It, it, I guess there there's some real positive aspects to the fact that we're we're looking for you know specific engineering talent outside of the organization because I know that from when I was working in enterprise, you, you know, my path was jack of all trades. You can only be so good when you start out at being the jack of all trades. You can only focus so much, and you specialize more and more and more. Obviously, the deeper you can go in whatever technology you're specializing in. That's becoming harder, like because the specialties there's becoming more specialties, and they're deeper than they've ever been before. Yeah. And so, how do you, you know, like so? I mean, I guess I just I'm validating the point. I don't know if there's any other any other thoughts on that, but it's just it's an interesting perspective that with the complexity, it's almost a requirement anymore. I'll just, I think of your house. I could <laughs> I could fix a toilet, but do I? <laughs> you know, I could paint a room, but do I? Um, you, you, I think you're, for the uh, business, the same thing. You bring in an expert for that short-term job you need them for. You get the efficiencies. You get their yeah. experience. You get, I mean, like you're saying, to fix a toilet, yeah, you can do it, but it's going to take you three hours and two trips to Lowe's. Yeah. <laughs> calling the plumber is going to be done in 20 minutes. So, so i got to yeah. jump on that, too, even, even to an extent. Like, so for me, I, I don't mow my lawn. I, I hire someone else to mow the lawn. And it's a service. It's a monthly service. So I made the decision that it my cloud time, service? <laughs> yeah, it's a cloud service. It's a virtual lawn. It's a virtual cloud service. You don't actually see the lawnmower. <laughs> you just know it's there. It's just but someone no, I mean, else's you know, lawnmower, my, I, I, I mean, if you think about it from a business perspective, I guess, it's not really, and I don't run a business, right, for that. But, you know, my time was more valuable than mowing the lawn. So I hire someone else to come and mow the lawn. Uh, but you know when a lawn is well mowed. And you know, that's true. Yes, you that's know true. if you, you know, you know the parameters. So to Jeff's point about having someone on staff who understands the technology, understands the business drivers, and can evaluate whether or not a, propose, a, a proposed solution is actually really what you need is, I think, important. 
Yeah. Maybe not as deep as it had to be in the past, yeah. Yeah. but right. the idea of being able to, like, you know, maybe there's all kinds of things that go into mowing the lawn that I don't know, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. chemicals you put on yeah. it that work, and they do things, and I don't know what all those do, but I can tell you the end result yeah. is what I want it to be, and I know what that end result should be. So maybe the technologist doesn't need to be someone who's, like, super deep in networking, but can at least know enough to speak to yeah. and understand, here are our requirements, here are you know, the constraints because of our business and here's what it's got to look like at the end. And I need to know that you can deliver that to me. And then let's talk about the solution, at least at a level that I understand that can, can make that happen. Yeah. Then what if, okay, to carry this analogy <laughs> further than it probably should be carried. decided. <laughs> I relate to lawnmowers. <laughs> right. So what if this were a, a lawn, a, a, like a, a, serve, lawn, a landscape service, say, and so, but in between the times they came, you needed to, pull the weeds from your flower garden, or you, need, you needed someone to, I don't know, do the little tremor thing around the edges, you know, what's it, whatever it's called. So you need to maintain. Yeah, to maintain. maintain. It, yeah. Or maybe you wanted to plant a new little bit of flowers over here, so maybe grow it a little bit. So you need someone with some knowledge that can do that and some skills to do that. Yeah, I think like as an architect, uh, I enjoy the most when I have like a good counterpart at the company because it's going to be a lot better design because he has both like the entire background of the company, their technologies, and maybe hopefully like knows the business people as well. So it's a lot easier to create a good design if you have a good counterpart in the customer. And I enjoy working the most if, if they're like already have a few technical people, but they like need help with the design part. So I guess a follow on to what we've been discussing, like what type of role are we thinking? Like what would you, I mean, it's not like a CTO role role at an enterprise. I mean, I think it's too broad, right? Yeah. So it's got to be some sort of like business and technical role within the enterprise that is like a, a key element that can talk to both, uh, you know, outside architects um, and outside design experts um, and then bring those business requirements together and, and kind of map everything between the two different entities. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I still think it might be a return to maybe broader roles inside. We've talked about, you know, full stack engineers and all that. And I think yeah, that's yeah. probably a bit Devon. too deep. <laughs> yeah. But no, but I, I think that, you know, I think maybe, again, not as deep as, as you know, having a, a IE or DE type engineer on staff, but still having someone who can speak to the requirements. But maybe that person then can be broader than just networking. Maybe they can also talk to that in systems and storage yeah. or whatever else. Yeah. The troubleshoot, all right, so to troubleshoot <coughs> a, an issue with the network now. Um, this, is, this is the problem, right? Like, yeah. Because <laughs> I look at automation and orchestration, I get very excited about it, but then at the other end of it, like it's still all the stuff we've always done, but now there's just a layer of abstraction sitting on top of it. When that stuff breaks underneath it, it's still the same yeah. hard things to and, fix. And someone needs to be there. Someone needs to right. this stuff. <laughs> you can't schedule. <laughs> you know? yeah. like, I'm scheduled through October. Like, you know, like, yeah, waiting until October to fix your BGP peering issue is not going to work, right? Like, yeah. and when you're, the customer's yeah. down, they need somebody they can call who's there mm -hmm. and ready to do it. Yeah. So, Versus so, trying to say, hey, Jordan, can you come fix this? Well, I'm on vacation. I don't have my laptop. Let me see if I can get somebody else who right. doesn't know your environment to help yeah, you. Right. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you either have a managed service, so you've outsourced it, like going back to the, <laughs> the topic of discussion, or you, you need people on staff. Right. Yeah. So it's both. <laughs> yeah, like, like, most, like most engineering answers. It's <laughs> um, I, I would say, like, 
until the orchestration and the automation kind of matures, um, I do see that maybe it self being able to be self healing, um, it knowing to troubleshoot when it needs to troubleshoot. Because that's yeah. in my mind where I see that going. Because once once things can determine, hey, my BGP neighborship's down, um, something's wrong. Well, let me figure out what it is. Unless as long as it's not a physical outage, I don't know if we're going to really be needed to troubleshoot at well, that point. Apparently, you're far more optimistic than yeah. I am. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big automation fan. Yeah, yeah. Automation is huge. Automation is yeah. great. We were actually having this conversation. Uh, I had a conversation with uh, Greg and Ethan from Packet Pushers yesterday yeah. about this, uh, about specifically around uh, some of this, you know, correlation. And, machine. and we're just, it, we're so far away from that <laughs> right now. That is it, so how far do you think we are? Five years? Ten years. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about this the is a deep discussion, so we'll, we'll, we'll try to keep it just a couple minutes. Yeah. yeah, I think I think we're pretty far, and, and the reason why is because when you look at machine learning, there's there's the yeah. two, and I'm I'm like the worst person to talk about this because I don't know the terms or anything. But there's basically two types. There's the one where you know humans feed information in, and and basically profile something, and and then the computer learns through many iterations what something is. And so I was using this example last night in a bar, obviously. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm like, here's the Volkswagen Beagle, right? We take a picture from the front. This is what a Volkswagen Beagle looks like. But then the computer sees a picture from the side, and it doesn't know what the side profile is. Human has to tell it what that is, mm -hmm. right? And here's from the back and the top, and then here's all the other angles. And, and the more human input that that computer has, the smarter it gets. And again, I know there are very technical terms, and I'm the worst person to talk about it, but that, that's, that's the one case. The other case is where the computer learns itself through associations, right? So, you know, we give it only the front picture, and then somehow, right, through logic internally, it determines what the side, back, top, and other angles are. And so to me, what we're, our current generation of machine learning really is signature-based. Mm -hmm. Like, we're, we can have bigger data sets and bigger signatures, that allow for detection of more anomalies, but as soon as we get to something outside of the known data set, we're very far away still from intelligent decisions about how to, how to fix a problem that wasn't an expected issue. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, the difference, the reason why we're starting to see some you know, automation systems that have some great results is because we can program bigger data sets sets and reference those bigger data sets, but it's still, all it is, is an engineer planned for it beforehand told the computer this is how to react to it, and so it's signature-based still. It's not necessarily detection and modification. Yeah. All right, so how many troubleshooting issues are the same? Could you say this? Here's a lot are. A lot are. A lot are can be signature-based, like a BGPPR going down. Like yeah. There's a certain things to check. So is, check. Is the remote AS number the right? Yeah, is, is mm -hmm. you know, am I coming from the right interface? There's a lot of things that we could, we could automate in that. Uh, I still think that because every network is a special snowflake, <laughs> and, and, and we don't seem to adopt you know standard designs very often, uh, it's going to be very hard to get to that point. Yeah. It, well, it, it's kind of been done a little bit. Remember Ned MRI, Terry Slattery's thing, the CCI mm -hmm. unit box. They did. He had a. But it's still round, and we still use, we still use it a lot. Oddly enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's surprising. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder why that is. Yeah. Um, By the way, we recorded an episode things. just a few minutes ago, and Terry got a, little, a lot of love in that episode. Really? So, yeah, you'll have to watch that one, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, no, <laughs> but that was kind of that, that concept of going, here's a list of things to go through and, and the, the common things, and then kick it off to some, someone else when it gets more complex. It, it, it makes total sense to, like, collect all of the things, like, are the, is the interface up? Is my ARP resolving? Like, Deep what are my interface counters? And those kind of things. But then... 
the next step is do you trust your system to automat <laughs> automatically try to remediate the Right, it's gonna, take, yeah. it's gonna take some time, right? Yeah. And you still have to have the system architected to be able to support that. Yeah. And if you don't design it right, you can have the best automation in the world, but if the underlying infrastructure doesn't support that view, and how often does that infrastructure change? Yeah. We say never, but we all know that things, new pods get added to data centers, new technology gets upgraded because end of life happens or depreciation happens of assets. Mm -hmm. Somebody needs to be able to keep an eye on that too. Mm -hmm. And it can't always be us as the engineer architects and consultants with the customer. I think it's where it comes back to somebody on site being able to say, they, I talked to the architects, there's new technology, here's how it can help us, here's how we have to automate it, but Somebody's got to be able to internally to shepherd some of that stuff. I mean, we can help it as much as we can, but I think internally customers need to have, maybe not this, if we keep coming back to it, the super senior CCIE CCD level, but they need to have a good somebody who understands the architecture, who understands where things are going. Sure. Mm -hmm. And be able to hear where the company wants to go. Yeah, which is huge. So just bridging the business and then technical side at a high yeah. level. And not, not knowing the, like maybe how to implement everything from the ground up, right? Or the new technologies, okay. like the new cloud technologies, or hey, we want AWS, we want Azure, we want the next cloud provider. How do we work with it? Exactly. They don't have the experience. They need to come to people who've felt those pains. Yeah, which is why, which is why you should get use of R. Now, which is why, <laughs> <laughs> which is why we exist, why the value-added part. part. <laughs> yeah. But the value-added part of it yeah. is right. that we, we've seen everybody else's network, and so we can see, well, whereas the people who are on site work for a company have seen their network primarily, and so we can tell you, oh, I saw this over here, don't do that, or yeah. do do that, mm -hmm. that worked well for them. Or I ran into this problem here, you may want to watch out for the problem there. You're not out there yet, mm -hmm. these guys were, but hey, you know what? You're gonna hit this one day, be aware. Yeah, yeah this thing is coming, yeah. or whatever. And that's the value-added yeah. part of our, our Definitely. Thing. So let's talk about broader. So I mean, I, I see a lot of technology trends kind of being a, a pendulum swing, right? So, yeah. so I, you, we, we like this, and now we like this, and then a few mm -hmm. years later we like this. Do you think that we ever go back? Do we go back to engineering and architecture being a strong in-house element, or do you think that this is a more permanent direction? A tough question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think it depends Pull up the on crystal ball. <laughs> yes. I think it depends on it, what else happens. Um, that make a business need that, right? Um, I think the business has to come to the conclusion that they do need someone um, in those roles uh, internally. Um, and then the cost is, you know, is the cost is okay to have those internally versus using an external resource. Um, it's an interesting perspective, and I, maybe just as a, as a different thing, are, are there different we're using enterprise as a very broad category. Is, is, is there subcategories in that where maybe like big, big enterprise yeah. definitely yeah. needs this? Yes. Smaller yeah. enterprise may not. Yeah. Uh, SMB, mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah. like all the, you know, maybe we're focusing the question at, at too broadly. I think you're right. I think, you know, you can, you can probably divide up the enterprise into probably, I mean, I'm just thinking four or five different um, subgroups off the top of my head. I mean, I'm sure we could get more than that. I mean, we have a bunch of engineers around the table. I think we yeah. can come yeah. up with 20 could, or 30. Yeah, 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 yeah. Why not? <laughs> Pretty quickly, right? So, I mean, um, I think we could easily say that, you know, maybe a very small SMB doesn't necessarily need a, you know, full-time whatever. Yeah. Um, but then maybe, like, you know, a Fortune 500 company would need a full-time, you know, architect design type of person that can relay all the business requirements and then also have a roadmap of what they're doing from a business perspective. I think yeah. that... Yeah, those I are think, like you said, it comes down if you can have a competitive advantage of, of having like uh, people on staff. Because, like, if you're a bank, 
and you put all of your trust in, in just a vendor or a bar. You need someone in-house to, to be able to, right. to have those skills as well. And maybe a competitive advantage is for a smaller business to have an architect that they hire when they need it and they have people just to maintain it or they outsource that. And they can then focus on the business where they don't have to worry about the IT infrastructure and go to the people who can help them. For the larger companies, right, they need somebody on site who understands where the roadmaps are, who gets the three-year plans, the five-year plans. But the smaller companies are trying to live day-to-day -day and make the business, and they need help getting there. That's where we come in sometimes, in the smaller mm -hmm. ones, I guess. So I want to shift gears a little bit. Uh, we've been talking about enterprise and what you know how they're kind of approaching things. Now I want to talk about individuals now, and I want to talk about career path. Right, so I could I, I know mine. I don't know all of your all of your career paths, but mine came through the enterprise. I started out as a jack of all trades, doing, you know, help desk, PC support, server support, and over time specialized in networking. Um, and does that go away? Right? Does 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 that potential career path go away? And then a follow up question to that is: if someone wants to get into engineering, if someone wants to be a network engineer, all of us here work at a bar. How, how, how do you? How do you, how do you, you know, what's your career progression steps look like if, if you can't really cut your teeth and learn network engineering and architecture in an enterprise? That's a great question. Yeah. Actually, someone just asked me that this morning. They were sitting at a, um, uh, machine. A slot machine, yeah. <laughs> we uh, are in Vegas. Yeah, sorry. Retirement. Retirement. I walked by and said hi, and they said, oh, let, me, let me ask you a question. Because um, they they had met someone, a barista, <laughs> who um, had, was in Network Academy and gotten her CCMP and was like trying to find a job now in networking. And it stumped me. So I'm glad we were talking about that. Cause I was thinking the same thing. I came up through servers and then figured out that nobody touches the network gear, so it's way better. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I've always seen networking is hard to get into to begin with. It, it, there's almost an expectation that you know it before you ever start. Like I don't see a lot of advertisements for junior network people. Like I just don't. And maybe maybe other places do, but I just like I, that's just not been my experience. It's almost like you need to have a lot of experience and have been lucky to be able to touch some networking gear and cut your teeth on it, and then you can say you have some experience and get into some like like intermediate level position. Um, but like again, are those things going away? So, I mean, mine's kind of similar to yours, my experience, like, I kind of got thrown into things. And I went in the military, and I got a lot of training in the military, and they expect you to know everything, not just one specific silo. So, and, you know, server security, networking, web design, anything IT, anything with an IP address, they expect you to know how to do it with. Um, now, when I got out, I did go to some enterprise customers or enterprise uh, companies. And um, one of the things I noticed is trying to hire a junior network engineer was pretty much impossible. Um, the qualified, like someone that actually knew networking, um, and I'm not saying someone that was like you know CCNP level, like even like someone that was a CCNA level that actually like understood subnetting, understood some of the basic stuff. I couldn't find anyone, uh, and this was probably seven or eight years ago. Um, I'd have people that said that they knew all this stuff, and when you start talking to them, they don't they don't know anything. Um, they just have it on the resume. So I think there is a, a pretty big vast hole, um, from my experience, at least in the New England area where you're trying to find these junior engineers and you just can't find them. So people are looking for them. So the jobs are out I, there, I you think, think there are. I mean, I was looking for them. I was looking for two junior network engineers. Um, you know, we had to expand our team and I, we just, we hired one or we hired contractors even 
um, and they just were not good. I mean, they said they had their CCMP, and it was probably just a you know paper CCMP. So we started actually doing lab tests. Like we actually had developed a lab and had like ten questions, and if they couldn't answer the ten questions, then we didn't hire them. I started out in the enterprise, and just like most of the people here, started with servers and slowly worked into it. Like you were saying, the network. Hey, nobody bothers with that. Okay, let's go take a look at that. It's quiet. And it's always the network now, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the same, but I think juniors, there is a definite need for them because you need qualified people to help, especially if companies don't want to have senior guys on staff and they need people, at least junior, who can support things. To get into it, like you're saying, you need to be able to understand subnetting, what a router is. Even like I was saying yesterday, understand power, outlets, mm -hmm. how to plug in a router, what's... A 20 amp versus a 30 amp. Little stuff, but I mean, it's when you're doing an install, you're helping a customer. That's the stuff that stops you in the middle of an install yeah. if you don't have something so basic. I think there's a definitely place to learn and understand. As long as you understand and you can demonstrate that stuff, I think you'll have skills and you'll be wanted. It's when you, need, you just assume that, oh, I have the certification or whatever, something like that, that you're going to get hired, but if you don't have if you haven't done the work to really learn their material, you're not going to get it. There's, there is a need. So I, I go back to the question um, then. I don't know because I went to school a while ago and I didn't go for, uh, I went for computer science. So my degree is in computer science, but is there actually a networking engineering kind of degree? I mean, I know there's not really any network design degrees out there and I've talked to Russ about that yeah. with and we might want to try and figure out a solution for that. But like, is there actually network engineering degrees out there that give them the basic knowledge of subnetting and you know how to rack equipment in a rack or I, I think we're starting to see some of that. I, I'm hearing about some small programs, but they're they're point. Like they're they're you know, this one place does this, yeah. this one place I, I, like it's not widespread. It's not like uh, often, right? Like a lot of people that I work with are CS graduates because that was you that know was the one. Right. And that was the one you could get. But I mean CS focused so much on 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 programming and you know system architectures that you know while that knowledge is valuable as it relates to networking it isn't directly correlated it's not the basic experience we expect out of a junior person yeah. who knows the power differentials how to rack gear and how to do you know how to do the practical stuff like that stuff starts becoming practical when you start getting to the higher end and understanding you know deep down how things are happening like that's that's you know so there's definitely been a gap there i've heard yeah. the same thing from ross like this you yeah, know I mean, like there, there needs gap, to be yeah. an education program for mm -hmm. I mean, for both. I mean, yeah. network engineers and then design as well. I mean, I actually have a business design approach. But, um, I mean, I know in my experience, if I hadn't gone to the military, I don't know if I would be in network engineering. Because I didn't, I had a computer science degree. Like, and I would have probably gone down that route further without, without having any experience. I would have probably got like a, you know, Java programming job or something versus, you know, a junior network engineer job. Right. I felt like, I feel like I felt, fell into it. Like, I, like yeah. if, if yeah. the circumstances and situations had been different, I would be doing something different now. Yeah. Mainly because if I, like I don't know like I feel lucky right like I, like I just yeah. happened to be at the right place at the right time where there was a network that needed to be managed and I wasn't afraid to do it right so that yeah. that was the that was then kind of that was mm -hmm. kind of networks weren't <laughs> as front and center and critical as they are now right yeah yeah, now, yeah. Now, <laughs> I caused a lot of outages that would now not be acceptable yeah. that were okay <laughs> then right it's, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah no it's now the electricity it's part of you know it's the plumbing of a house you know mm -hmm. it's the water of a house it's yeah. now it's required it's not like oh it's nice to have it needs to work and it needs to work all the time mm -hmm. so, so so am I hearing that we all agree that it's actually harder now than it's ever been like I mean like I'm yeah. trying to uh, I'm trying to summarize this like like is it harder now to get into networking is there a path 
or, or do you just have to be lucky or, you know, go through the military where they yeah. force you to learn everything? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. be a network. Maybe you need to, like, if you can't work in the enterprise, then maybe you need to work for a service provider or another type of... Right. I mean, service provider is a great avenue uh, simply because their whole job is networking. Yeah. You'll, you'll cut your teeth quickly oh. in a service <laughs> provider. But, I mean, again, their business is delivering networking. How often are they going to be hiring junior, junior people? Junior people yeah. starting yeah. out. Yeah. Well, VARs look for them because they need somebody to support Knox. I mean, for managed services stuff, they need people who first line can at least read the scripts, follow the stuff, get the tickets, and be able to escalate. And that may even just be an inter interesting way to get into it, where you start hearing the terms, you start working, and you find mentors. I think that's the other big piece is if you're going to get into the field, try to find a mentor. I mean, whether it's online mentor on Twitter, on Facebook, on whatever type of social media, but you can find people, you can ask questions, you can start to build relationships, start to network with other people, not just keep throwing out your resume to apply for jobs. So a complete plug for our other episode, that's a, what our previous episode was all about. So, uh, so we're going to be releasing two episodes from Cisco Live, and, and the other one's all about the value of conferences and social media. And so if you're watching this and haven't watched that one, go watch that now. Um, <laughs> but to, So to your point, right? So like where I work now at E+, um, we hire junior engineers that they're not, they don't have the basic skills. But we do this, and we mentor them from the ground up. Like, we have a subset of, you need to know these things within the first six months. And I mean, some of these people, they don't know how to rack equipment. Like, and I, I mentioned that because that's, in my mind, such a basic thing. And you mentioned power. Power is such a basic thing that these, they just, they're coming out of school. They just don't know this stuff. So um, that's how we handle it. Um, I'm not sure that's the right approach long term, but we're just trying to find a way. Um, yeah, sorry, Denise. No, go ahead. Yeah, I was like uh, reading just this morning about a consulting company that they had such a shortage of, of people available to hire. So they're starting their own program now to like take them out of the university and then like give them six months or something where they like, need to learn the skills needed to become a consultant. And mm -hmm. I think we're going to see more of those kind of initiatives mm -hmm. because there's going to be a, a shortage of qualified staff. And like if you talk to Russ White, he always talks about protocols and algorithms and like a real engineer tries to like understand how something really works and now if we're going more and more towards like vendor solutions where everything is automated and orchestrated we're gonna have a shortage of people actually knowing how how it really works in the back end so and I would say one more thing from um, yeah. on, on what we're looking for from my perspective is since we couldn't find people that had the basic skills we look for people that had the personality culture fit, yeah. and then also the ability to learn and the drive to learn, right? If you have the ability to learn and the drive to learn, we can, I can teach you anything. Um, and the team can teach you anything. I'm sure we all could teach anyone anything if they had those char characteristics. So that's, that's what I search for right now. Um, I would love to get qualified people on the, the first day. That'd be awesome. But right now, I don't see that actually happening. They're just making it happen. Yeah. But how can you be qualified if what you've done is gone to Network Academy or studied on your own exactly. or whatever? You haven't had that experience. So right. you've got to find it someplace. Yeah. And to find someplace that needs like uh, knock engineers or um, junior engineers that you'll be mentored to bring up or an enterprise that has a company that, that needs like the, someone starting out and, then will, and will work for, with you and teach you that stuff and not go, what, you don't know this? Well, pff, you're fired. You know? <laughs> but we'll understand that. that thing, that's something if I were a junior engineer starting out, I'd be looking for some place that, that will help me learn and grow and further my career. Assuming that, that your scenario is not, <laughs> not the future and we, there is a future for, for 
network engineers. <laughs> I do think there's a future. So just to take down, I do think there's a future for network engineers. I just don't think that enterprise customers, uh, or, sorry, enterprise um, companies are going to have a ton of people on the team. I think they're going to have like administrators or whatever you want to call it, like um, guys that, that and, and ladies that kind of just monitor the network. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, monitor the network. They do break fix. Um, issues they do add moves changes you know and that's their day that that's it you know and then there's going to be maybe the one or two like we've discussed depending on the size of the enterprise that is um you know a design architect expert but more on the business side too being able to relay all that i think that is where um, it'll go for the next probably five ten maybe even 15 years all right with that i think uh zig it's the last word today uh, i think we're out of time it's a great conversation thank you all uh, for being here and participating in it I uh, also want to thank uh, Gestalt IT for letting us crash their place here at the Mandalay Bay <laughs> and, uh, and record. Um, if you have not checked it out yet, they have a, a new pad podcast called the Gestalt IT On-Premise Roundtable Podcast. Uh, very similar to what we do here. If you like what we do, you probably like what they're doing. A bit broader, covering a bit more of the IT space than just networking. So you should check that out. Um, if you want to find more networking episodes, things that we're doing here, you can go to thenetworkcollective.com. We talked about some of the other things we recorded here at Live. We have a bunch of uh, backlog from things we've recorded the past few months. So you can check that out there. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter, at NetCollectivePC. And uh, thanks for listening. <laughs>